Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Thank y'all for joining. It is going to be an incredible night. I do want to say that um, many of you are aware, and I always like to just be honest about what we're bringing to this conversation. I jumped off of a call about 10 minutes ago with um, uh, folks down in Mississippi that are vigiling around an execution. So that that's on my mind. It's, it's happening right now, probably uh, David Cox. And um, so let's be praying for him. He's he's in his family, also the victim's family. Um, We're, we're thinking of Julius Jones um, whose family I've also met with maybe many of you have as well. It's a case that one of the clearest cases of innocence in our country yet facing execution tomorrow imminently unless the governor intervenes. So we're praying vigilant folks are camping out in Oklahoma. We're thinking of all of you out there. Um, So there's a lot happening, but all of these things intersect and that's why we've started having these conversations. It might feel a little clunky to move right into a conversation on envir- the, the environment and you know colonization, but I think as we talk, we're going to see how connected these things are, and they're not separated at all. So I, I do have a little candle here for David uh, and for the execution, but it's, you know, we're, we're not living in moments. We're really trying to build a movement of, of faith and conscience. And uh, so it's going to be an incredible hour together. I I first want to welcome my friend, Randy Woodley, who I love being with, even if virtually Randy, we it's just uh, always good to be together. And uh, we'll introduce the other folks, the really brilliant panelists in, in just a second. But Randy's an activist and scholar. He's a speaker, written a ton of books, speaks on all kinds of stuff, American culture, faith, justice, our relationship to the earth and indigenous realities. Uh, he's pretty prolific and out there. But um, I think the first book I read by you, Randy, was Living in Color. Uh, it's a wonderful book. If you haven't read it, Living in Color, Embracing God's Passion for Ethnic Diversity. Uh, he's written a great children's book, The Harmony Tree. Uh, that's the one we read at our retreat, right, Randy? It was really powerful. Yeah, Lisa Harper and, uh, read that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, other books, too. Uh, the the uh, Shalom and the Community of Creation, which is very related to our conversation tonight. So, uh, uh, out out west and uh one of the you know the founder with uh, edith of elohim so it's great to see you brother um and and uh welcome thanks for help and i reached out to randy because i was like we're gonna have a create a conversation on you know the earth and creation care and the environment but i don't want it to be the usual suspects you know i mean uh, we all love wendell berry and these other folks that have done great work but we want to try to have a fresh different angle a conversation especially uh bringing folks that are seeing this issue through different eyes so uh randy has really helped shape the conversation tonight so I'll, i'll hand it to you buddy Thanks a lot, Shane. And uh, I just want to say I appreciate you holding that space uh, for this crazy capital punishment laws that we have and continuing to be faithful, you and Katie, and just um, just really appreciate you doing that. We can't, we all can't do everything, but it's good to know that we've got people doing some things, you know. So, uh, yeah, i you know, um, we're going to talk about colonization and uh, you can say creation care. Or we can talk about climate uh, action and those kinds of things. Um, I really wanted to try and get some younger voices in on this. Um, you know, I'm sort of an old guy and 
Uh, and I, I felt like, you know, uh, we needed to, to hear from some different perspectives. And uh, as it turns out, we have um, lots of different generations here tonight. And that's going to be really good uh, that we can all hear from each other. And we're all coming from different places and races and social classes, probably, and, uh, you know, et cetera. So uh, I'm just looking forward to it. It's going to be good. I'm really excited about the, uh, the other three panelists. Um, I'm going to try not to do a whole lot of talking and let them uh, be able to express themselves. And, and uh, we do need to hear from a lot of different people. So thanks, Shane. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Let me just uh, introduce all three of them briefly. And then uh, we've got a few questions. Randy, help me uh, uh, craft. And, and so first, we've, we've got Sarah, uh, Sarah Augustine, who is a Pueblo Tewa descendant. She's the founder and co-chair of the Coalition to Dismantle the Doctrine of Discovery. Come on, that's a good name right there. And the executive director of a, a dispute resolution center in central Washington state. She's co-founder of the Suriname uh, Indigenous Health Fund, where she's uh, uh, advocated for lots of indigenous people that are vulnerable uh, since 2004. She's written for a bunch of different stuff. Uh, hopefully soon we'll, you'll all be writing for Red Letter Christians in addition to the other things. But uh, she and her husband uh, and son live out in Washington, and her book, y'all should check it out, is The Land is Not Empty. The Land is Not Empty, Following Jesus in Dismantling the Doctrine of Discovery. And I love that title. You know, you know here at Red Letter Christians, we're, we've, Jesus is really the center of everything we're doing. So we're going to come to you in just a second, Sarah. Oh, there it is. Booyah. Got a visual there. Nicole Taylor Harris is a womanist bioethicist scholar. And if you don't know what a womanist is, you just hang on because you're going to learn in just a little bit. But scholar, activist, doula, movement chap chaplain, healer in progress, she says. Um, she's a graduate of Harvard Divinity School and has a master's of theological studies focused on the intersections of black women and community health community-centered healing, and the role of spirituality and wellness. So that's pretty awesome. Welcome, Nicole. We're going to hear more about uh, womanist bioethicists soon. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Avery Davis-Lamb is an activist, ecologist, public theologian, working at the intersection of Christianity and environmental justice. His background is uh, in ecological research and faith-based environmental organizing. And he's got some great language uh, for things that were, I think you're going to really invite us to think with, with new imagination and uh, even create new language. So you talk about climate hospitality and uh, uh, creation justice. So welcome, Avery. It's awesome to be with you, man. And uh, that is our crew. So first I want to go to you, Sarah, Sarah, whoop, whoop. Uh, Sarah, because um you know, let's let's go back a little bit. This doctrine of discovery, you've spent a lot of time on on this, and that feels like a good place to begin, right? Because you're you're doing a lot of work to dismantle that, and you're centered around Jesus. So, tell let's let's start with the doctrine of discovery in your work. Tell us a little bit about, sure. especially how that shapes the conversation around care for the earth. You bet. So, so the doctrine of discovery. I'll give you a dry definition, and then talk more in detail. It's, it is a body of law and policy um, that's designed to remove indigenous peoples from their lands. It's basically a moral, began as a moral Christian framework for the justification of removing people from their lands um, and removing, um, well, I guess I'll just say that. And, um, and it, is, it is enshrined in the U.S. legal framework um, as the basis for land tenure in the United States for indigenous peoples but not just in the United States, but around the world and specifically in the discovered world, which would include um, North, South, Central America, um, the Pacific, New Zealand, um, uh, Australia, um, Europe. I mean, across the world, many, many places in Asia, um, India. And so this is, this is sort of bedrock legal policy in the United States. The doctrine of discovery it is so named is a legal doctrine. It's based in Christian um, theology and um, doctrine too. Um, as the as um, the states of Europe came and colonized various parts of the earth, and so from my point of view, it's a framework for understanding colonization, and that framework for colonization is a legal framework. It, it threads its way through every institution 
but it's also a framework of thought and belief that is evident in every, every aspect of Christianity. And so dismantling the doctrine of discovery for me is very much about um, getting at the heart of the laws that oppress indigenous peoples and also um, uh, dismantling those parts of Christianity that have oppression at their core. And so when I talk about Christianity, I, I'm not talking chain about Jesus and Jesus mandate and who Jesus was and, and is and will be and uh, Jesus um, uh, ministry of life. I'm talking about institutional values that are threaded throughout um, belief. And so. Yeah. Mm. Great. And we're, we're going to intersect all these conversations in a minute, but I want to come to you, Nicole, uh, first too, because, you know, we're each looking at this from a different perspective. And by the way, Sarah, someone uh, just sent me a message saying they love your book. So, um, but uh, Nicole, Tell us a little bit for folks. A lot of us are very familiar with, you know, the womanist uh, in eco womanist perspective, but others that'll be really new. So how does um, give a little backdrop for the womanist critique and also um, how it can be a helpful lens through thinking about the intersections of, of these issues? Thank you so much, Shane, and um, thank you, Sarah, for sharing as well um, about the way that you approach this work. Um, in terms of womanism, from my perspective, um, womanism is a faith-based and faith-centered um, theological and liberatory approach to understanding knowledge production, faith production, and liberation. Um, particularly centered on the voices and experiences of Black women and other marginalized voices um, as they exist in the space of colonialism, white supremacy, um, and all of the tendrils of that. Um, and my particular approach to that is through a lens of bioethics, um, just really understanding how um, the experiences of Black women and marginalized bodies um, shapes the way that we approach our bodies, um, how our bodies exist in space, um, how they're influenced by those different tendrils of white supremacy and oppression, as I mentioned, um, and what we can do towards healing, um, using those experiences as a groundwork and framework toward that liberation. Um, and then to go further, I know that I've already said a few things, but um, I also particularly um, I'm drawn to the, the work of Melanie L. Harris in eco-womanism, and that's um, really drawing a comparison between the ways that the earth and the environment have been treated like a marginalized body in itself, um, really drawing on that connecting piece, as you mentioned, Shane, between um, our health, the environment, and how they exist um, among these systems. Um, and so with, with that work, um, Melanie L. Harris really looks at how um, the earth has been disregarded itself much in the same way that marginalized bodies are um, and just disrespected, um, not valued, um, not seen and not heard. So my work as a womanist is to center the voice of, um, of these marginalized groups and also of the earth as a marginalized entity in itself that holds us. Um, and I think about how all of that influences our health and our day-to-day -day interactions with one another and our bodies. That's yeah. really, really yeah. helpful and fascinating. So we're not going to we're not going to let that go. But I, I, I remember some time ago, um, someone telling me that there's this parallel between how we treat women and how we treat the earth. And you can see where the earth is abused and often women are abused, where women are abused, often the earth is abused. There's, so I think uh, you'll, you'll probably have much more insight to help us out with some of those, but thank you. And finally, I, I'll just be asking the first question and then Randy's going to pick up the conversation, but Avery, you, you've done a lot of activism and um, we'd, we'd love to hear a little of um the church has often been complicit with all the environmental terrible things happening, our theology. I mean, I heard a pastor say, uh, I don't have a problem driving an SUV. I just see it as expediting the apocalypse, meaning basically the more that we can destroy the earth, the quicker Jesus will come back. I mean, that that's really extreme, but uh, and that was a long time ago, but you still got a little bit of that going on. But there's also some beautiful stuff happening. I mean, there's there's young people that many are fueled by their faith that are really rising up, uh, doing direct action, um, you know, uh, and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. Where specifically are you seeing some hope of uh, the church responding to the 
climate crisis and into some of these issues? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the question, Shane. Um, and I think, you know, part of it is represented here is, you know, what has historically been the margins of the church that is now the majority of the church. Um, and, you know, that's young people, that's people of color, that's people around the world who are on the forefronts of experiencing climate change. Um, and they're the ones who are able to articulate most clearly what the, you know, what Christianity has to say about caring for our world, about creation justice. Um, and like Sarah was saying, even more importantly, what Jesus has to say about it. Um, so I'm, you know, very, I, I maybe won't use the language of hope because I'm careful around that language, but I'm affirmed when I see, um, you know, young people in, engaged in movements, you know, like Extinction Rebellion, where, you know, um, they're showing up as an act of their faith. They're showing up um, in, you know, public action and civil action to demand um, that our leaders take this crisis seriously. Um, and, you know, I think the church can learn a lot from, you know, people like Greta Thunberg. And I think there's a lot that the church and Christian history can add to what Greta Thunberg is saying. And, you know, I think where that where we can add to that is by seeing the world as creation and, you know, re remembering, um, re repairing those broken ties between, um, you know, ourselves as humans and the natural world kind of bringing that back together. Um, so in, in Sarah's work and in Randy's work, I definitely see that. Thanks, Randy. I want to pitch it to you. But first, you know, I know you you, you don't like uh, talking too much about yourself, but you should you're doing wonderful work at LA. So maybe just say a little bit about um, what you're doing, because it's so concrete and it's so deep uh, rooted in your faith and in, in who you are, as, you know. Um, so talk a little bit about that, but then you, you take the conversation from there. Okay, thanks, Shane. So, um, Elahe Indigenous Center for Earth Justice and Elahe Farm and Seeds is my wife and I are co-founder, co-sustainers. Um, of course, we have a we're five hundred one c three and we have a board, etc. Um, we are a active model farm. We're a learning center and a community, and um, we are we just moved our new property. Uh, of 10 acres uh, 18 months ago and have been, you know, it's a new startup. Uh, although we've been doing this since like 1998, we've been chasing this vision. This is the third iteration of Alahe and uh, a final iteration of Alahe. And um, this is a place where people, we just kind of like, if you could boil it down, Edith and I just host people, right? We, we have people come and then we will have other teachers come in and sometimes we'll teach and, and we'll do ceremony. And uh, it's just an, a sort of an all-around experience. And, you know, I don't know why, but people walk away with changed worldviews, which is my project. That's what I'm after. I'm trying to get people to move from a Western worldview to a more indigenous worldview because I don't think the Western worldview is going to sustain us much longer. And so, um, so there's that. And then um, I actually, uh, I'm, you talked about my books, but I've got one I'm really, really excited about. And I don't usually plug my books, but I'm going to pimp out this book right now. Um, it's called Becoming Rooted, uh, 100 Days of Reconnecting with Sacred Earth. And what it is, it's 100 little bite-sized um, pieces that people can read and then an action point afterwards. And my idea is like, hey, if I can get people thinking from a more indigenous perspective for like 100 days, or if they use it for a devotion or whatever, you know, they're going to change their their view of the world and their relationship with the earth and their relationship with creator. And so, and that's what we're after. So, you know, I've got children's books. I'll, I'm coming at it every way that, that or my wife and I, every way that we can, because, you know, hey, we're doing this for next seven generations. We're doing this for our grandchildren and, you know, and beyond. So um, this is serious work for us. Um, even though we seem pretty laid back, we're pretty serious about <laughs> what we do. Yeah. So I, I wanted to just sort of like kind of connect some of this stuff. When I talk about worldview, and, and Sarah mentioned this, that 
that the worldview that these people under this Christian mandate of the doctrine of discovery came into was formed, actually began forming in Western civilization 3,000 years ago with Platonic dualism. That is where you, you begin to um, think that you're, and this is what Plato taught and Aristotle, and he spread it through Alexander the Great, who was his student, and, and then the Renaissance, and now the Renaissance was born the Reformation and the Enlightenment. And so both of those partners came to American shores pretty quick. And so as a result, the Western worldview is embedded within all of our systems, the economic systems, the penal systems, the, the justice systems, the social systems, that I mentioned education, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, and what is that worldview about? Well, one of the things it's about is white supremacy. We were founded as a country um, that's intention was really to privilege white males. And because of that, um, we've seen progress along the ways in, diff in different places. But because of that, that's why we have the problems that we do. That's why we have capital punishments. That's why we're having a climate crisis. Um, and and uh, uh, what Nicole said about, you know, the, um, the parallel between how we treat I, and I, I do a teaching on this also, but how we treat um, women and people of color and the earth are very similar in that, you know, the idea is they're supposed to produce for who, right? The, the white male establishment, wealthier white male establishment. They're supposed to, they're, they're, you, you extract from them. Uh, this whole idea of a rape culture is like being able to take what I want from them without any reciprocity. And so that's the problem that we're having uh, now in the culture wars. We're seeing it expressed clearly right now in the culture wars. And climate change also is a result of this uh, extraction mentality, this uh, idea that you have dominance over the earth instead of a relationship with the earth. And so, and I know that, that Avery's busy, you know, um, working, especially with churches and things to, to try and move in a very positive direction. And so, you know, what we're all saying, really, we're talking from maybe three, four kind of different critiques, but I think we're all talking about the same thing. Any of you guys want to uh, chime in on that, respond to any of that? Sarah, go ahead. Yeah, I do. I, and I want to respond also to something that Avery said, you know, in terms of thinking through, and this is, I think, consistent with what you said too, Randy, is that, um, you know, we're living in a, in, a, in a closed system. That is to say, there are new, no new inputs. There's no, you can't add water to the closed system that we live in. You can't add air or soil. It's a closed system, this earth. That's reality. That is the reality that, that our systems of death that we invest in deny. They deny that simple reality. And here's another reality that's denied. We are mutually dependent. We are completely mutually dependent. Um, what we do matters. <laughs> it impacts the people around us. And so the, this, this idea that we're individuals, that the moment that we're alive is the only moment that counts, that we can control our own destiny, all of those things are myths that are inconsistent with reality. And they're also inconsistent with Jesus' mandate and Jesus' ministry. And so, I, you know, as you were talking, Avery, that's what I was thinking about, that, that there is this, this reality that the church has to wake up to. And that is that all of life is interdependent and you cannot, it's like a water balloon, right? You squeeze it one place, it comes out somewhere else. You can't, you can't impact uh, one part of the system without impacting the whole system because it's a closed system. So what you were talking about Randy in terms of, you know, thinking through an indigenous lens, that indigenous lens is reality from an indigenous point of view. And I would say a reality that every people has understood at some, some time in their existence, mm. because it is reality. <laughs> and that getting back to that requires effort. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm sorry, I'm kind of going off on a rant here, but I think that people are really addicted um, to security. 
this idea that there's somehow I can control my world that will ensure that I can, I can have economic security and anything is worth doing if I can have that. And to me, mm. that, is, that is the root of the lie that ensnares the church especially and prevents it from being part of um, the creator's <laughs> plan and vision that's expressed in the reality around us, which is the earth. The earth and mm. all of its processes expresses the nature of the creator. And yet we continue to believe ourselves to be separate from it. We are not separate. We are one. Great. Yeah. And Avery, I know you want to jump in. We want to hear from you, Nicole, too. I think one of the things I want to ask you, too, as we're, we're continuing to think about this is here I am. I'm living in a little school bus turned into a tiny house. we got a composting toilet back here. We've got a garden outside. We're trying to live with little footprint. You know, I, when I travel to speak, I have folks offset the carbon footprint of my travel. So I'm trying to be a, a certified green preacher and all that stuff, but it can feel like as much personal stuff as we try to do to be responsible, the forces of corporate capitalism and the companies and all these things are pretty uh, daunting, you know? And, and so there's, there's a balance between like trying to be uh, responsible personally, but also needing some bigger macro changes to happen. And Avery, won't you jump in first? Cause I know you've been, you, you, you've been an activist on that. I'm sure you try to uh, eat responsibly and stuff, but you're also trying to change some of the policies I think too, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, oh, that's, this is so important, Shane. And I think a Christian approach to this is, is, you know, we, we really have something to say here because, um, and this is what creation justice is all about is, you know, I, the cre language of creation care is great. And I think it's really helpful, but I think one thing that it misses is what you've just named, which is that there are systems and structures of extractive capitalism that have resulted in this and that we can care and we can, um, you know, live in our tiny houses and, you know, keep our gardens and do all that. And that's great. And the reason that's great is because we're rendering our hearts so that we can love the world and that we're more connected with creation. And my hope is that it renders our hearts in a way that we can, you know, speak out prophetically against the systems of extraction that have gotten us here and against the hundred companies that are responsible for the crisis that we're in. And then we recognize that the responsibility for this crisis is not borne equally by all people it's especially not born equally by the people who are on this call that we can look at and we know who the crisis is born by. And that's by, you know, the, the rich men, mostly the rich white men, mostly who are getting rich off of, you know, the extraction and continued burning of oil. Um, and so, you know, there is this uh, a continuum between our contemplative actions our, you know, our, our, our practical actions that we are doing, um, you know, these reflections that Randy's sharing about, those are so important. Um, they're important on their own because, you know, of, of a personal transformation, but they're also important because they can thrust us outward into the world and we can engage in these larger, these larger systems of change. Thank you, Avery, and thank you, Sarah and Randy, to speaking to this. Um, something that's coming up for me is also, um, as you were saying, Sarah, that community is the basis for healing. There is none of the system, the system levels change that we need can be done without connecting with one another, without us really dismantling this from a systemic perspective um, through community. And none of us can do that individually. Um, as Avery and Shane just said, um, you know, there are individual acts that we can do to um, try to make changes in our own lives, but really the impact comes when it's done in community. And that um, also makes me think about Jesus as liberator, Jesus as, as an innovator, um, and my perspective on that, um, that we definitely need to return to um, to some of those some of those Afro-Indigenous practices of innovating and imagining different realities um, that are not only focused on, um, you know, like 
um, care and maintaining the status quo, but towards repair and towards um, healing, really. And what does it look like for us to shift from um, doing things that maybe help us to maintain the status quo, but actually shift towards healing? So that's what's coming up for me. Um, mm. And I know a few of y'all have mentioned um, your farm spaces as well. And that's um, urban farm work and work in trying to innovate and create um, green space and not not create green space, but repair some of the space that has um, been taken away and transformed into something that it's not meant to be is work that's near and dear to me. Um, there's a, an urban farm co-op that I work with um, that's based in Dorchester, Massachusetts called the Common Good Project. And um, it uses this lens of community healing and recognizing that holistic healing begins with us really examining who we are um, as individuals and who we are as we sit in community and really looking at the ways that oppression has impacted us, but also looking at how that extends to our interactions with the environment um, and what it looks like to heal in community in the environment and with the environment. Thank you. Oh, Randy, there's something wrong with your uh, sound there, buddy. Um, yeah, I said, thank you, uh, Nicole. Oh, cool. um, yeah. you, you mentioned Jesus, and uh, like that's a good thing to mention when you're around Shane, because he, he really likes <laughs> Jesus. So, um, uh, so let's look at like, okay, well, this thing about independence and community. Jesus was all about forming communities, not just one, but communities his whole life. And why is that? If you look in nature, um, there is nothing that exists as a singular, uh, a singular piece. It's just like all the way from the multiverse down to the subatomic levels, right? The even if you take an atom and you split it down, and we used to think it was there was three parts, and and no, there's something in there called quarks, right? And those quarks are really interesting because that's the smallest thing we've been able to see on the planet right now. And the thing about quarks is they change colors and they change positions, but they're never alone. There's nothing that exists in everything that exists that is not a combination of unity and diversity, this, this working together, working in community with each other. And so what are we trying to do and what was Jesus trying to do? Trying to make us a good relative to the whole community of creation uh, is what I do. Uh, this is the question that really uh, churches and Christians and, and others in the world need to ask is what I do on a daily basis and what I do in my political life and what I do in my church life and when I speak up or when I don't speak up, is it making me a better relative to not just my human neighbors, but all the whole community of creation around me? Because if it's not making you a better relative, you can't claim to follow Jesus. Because that's and and it's interesting too that the what we call theologically the efficacy of creation, which is you know like like whose hands did it sort of idea if if we want to put you know uh, think about it in a tangible way, it's Jesus, right? Like it's it's emphatic and in five places in Scripture and the most emphatic is probably you know uh, John one where it says. He made everything that was made, and nothing was made without him. And so we, have a, we don't have a really a theology of Jesus as creator. Evangelicals have a, this mega theology of Jesus as redeemer, you know, but Jesus as creator. So that's why it makes so much sense that creation exists the way it does, and that we treat it just like we would treat one another, and that we would treat Jesus. Yeah, and responding to what you're saying, Randy, I just, I think that there is a narrative that I grew up with. I wonder if you guys grew up with this too, where, where there was this kind of thing of thinking about what God's plan is for my life. You know, I'm the center and God has a plan for me in my life, as opposed to um, the creator has a plan. And how am I part of that plan? How am you, I using my life to be part of that plan? Um, and and because, because at the center is the creator, the creator expressed in creation, the creator's will expressed in creation. How can I be part of that? How do I know the will of God? How do I know God's will, the creator's will? It's expressed in creation. It's, right, it's all right there. It's a closed system. We're interdependent. Um, we have faithfulness. 
we have faithfulness uh, without having to earn it. Um, we have the restoration of the soil, the ocean washing itself. All of these ways we can see and choose to be part of that plan. And I want to talk about systems change because that's, you know, um, Randy and Shane, I know you know, that's what I do. That's all, that's my focus is systems change. And so one of the ways I want to talk about this, because I think it's really frustrating and people say, gosh, what can I do? You know, I'm recycling. And it's like, okay, I, I want to sort of, I, I'm not against recycling. Recycling is great. Recycling is not going to solve the climate crisis. We have to collectively work together as a body for change. We have to commit to that. We have to be willing to, to say, I'm going to forego my investment in myself, this idea of myself as the center and try and find what the center is, that center, the creator and cre creator expressed in creation. And so, you know, as people sort of respond to this and say, oh, you know, I don't know what you mean. I think to myself, look, slavery was an institution that was uh, affirmed in the constitution and uh, threaded throughout every institution of our country and boycotting certain kind of die was not going to stop it. How did you stop slavery? Slavery was, it, it had to be dismantled. It was not gonna fall apart as a, as a result of good intentions. It had to be dismantled. People had to work together and organize to dismantle it because it was created and it had to be dismantled. And, and, and what, what we're talking about, these systems of death is the same. It has to be dismantled. It's not going to be dismantled with good intentions. It requires faithful people, communities working together collectively for change. Mm, mm. So good. I'm just going to jump in for a second here and say that uh, this hour always goes so fast. Thankfully, we're not near done yet, but I want to invite you to go ahead and uh, put comments or questions in the chat there's a few of you on zoom but there's always most of you are watching on other forums and we're we've got uh katie lynn and some of our team are looking at your comments so uh put questions or comments in there and we'll bring them into the conversation uh even if you're on facebook or youtube or whatever you're watching on and i just have one thought that when i was down in brazil i don't know if y'all know claudio oliver but he's really a great guy he's like a veterinarian that became a theologian so he's this kind of like mad scientist and he's got this uh beautiful urban homestead and they're doing all kinds of stuff. But one of the things he took me to is a DNA bank for chickens, you know, and he goes, how many kinds of chickens are there? You know, and I, I was kind of joking. And I was like, well, you got, uh, you know, sweet and sour chicken, you got your char grilled chicken, you know, and he's like, no, no, no. You know, and he looked, he shows me like, you know, these 700 different kinds of chickens, you know, that they're trying to preserve. And he, and he talks about exactly what you're saying, Randy, that, that, I, over and over, he said uh, 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 that uh, uniformity is the devil. Uh, and he said, but diversity is divine. Um, and, and, you know, he said, he, he said that every fingerprint is different. You know, uh, all, all our DNA is different. The creation is so diverse. So diversity is divine and he, a monoculture. That's what he said. Monoculture is diabolical, but the diversity of God's creation. Amen. is beautiful. So when we lose a, a species, we're losing something that God created. And so I love that in the thread and all of this is that this is spiritual work. This is not just political, but this, this is uh, connected to our faith. So I know, you know, that Randy, you, you want to say more about the because we gotta we gotta dismantle systems. We also gotta dismantle some bad theology, right? Yeah, all these systems need you know uh, we, we, you know we we have to just reconstruct them with uh, everybody at the table. That's how things get done, and uh, we're trying to create a system now that does that, and they all depend on one another. So, yeah, you it's you know we we also you know th this is personal and it's structural, and it has to be both in all of our lives. Yeah. I had a Shane. I just I just had a quick kind of reflection on that, and, and then a question for Nicole actually, because um, you know we, we've talked about, of course, this is political work, this is spiritual work, and I also want to say this is care work, because you know the climate crisis is here, and there are people and communities who are absolutely being devastated by climate disasters and by the slow violence of climate change. Um, so some of the work that we've done with Creation Justice Ministries is equipping churches to be able to respond and prepare and build climate resilience and be hubs of resilience, both, both 
so that their communities can weather the physical and the spiritual storms of the climate crisis, and at the same time challenging the systems that have gotten us here. And Nicole, I have not forgotten that I, I heard in your bio that you're also a doula, and I would imagine you've thought about kind of the intersections with care. So how do you see care intersecting with your eco-womanism work? Thank you so much, Avery. Um, yes, I have many reflections on what has been shared, but um, also um, think deeply about the role of doing in all of this um, and really what the role of accompaniment looks like. Um, I'm also a movement chaplain or trained as a movement chaplain to accompany and support people that are at the helm of movements um, and really make space to heal the healers. Um, but yes, we definitely, um, like care work is absolutely in the center of all of this. We can't move forward with repair without addressing the harm that's already been done and addressing, as you said, um, Avery, just the, the harm that happens and how it affects um, all of us and affects um, the environment and how um, and the impacts of that on our daily lives. I'm thinking a lot about even um, the pandemic that we're in now and how um, all of this is impacted by the intersections of all of these things from racism to colonialism to environmental injustice and extraction as well. Um, and something that comes up for me in my care work as a doula um, and as a person that just holds space is how can we see um, how can we see the holiness and divinity within one another within our environments? What does that look like to treat one another as actual images of God ourselves? What does it mean to actually care for one another and use a use a theology of love um, as a source of liberation? Um, so that's the space that I move in. Like, what does it actually mean for us to love on one another? Um, and how can that lead and guide our healing and our liberation? Thanks, Nicole. And just to jump in with one of the questions on the chat, and please keep them coming, is this is from uh, Christopher Hernandez. And you, you're talking about uh, how can we review our theological imagination, Christopher says, and he, he uses that from Mark Charles, who's uh, a dear friend of many of us in RLC. And if you haven't read the book, Unsettling Truths, that was one of our book club books that Mark's book with uh, Sunshan Ra. So, uh, but ways that we can reconstruct a more fulfilling faith and have a better theological perspective. That's really the heart of Christopher's question. And um, Randy, you want to start with that or any, anyone else want to jump in on, on the, the better theology piece? Just real quick. One is that we've privileged white male theologians, you know, up until the last 30, 40 years. And so everybody thinks that's what theology is. That's not what theology is. That's a very sl a slender place. And because of the Western worldview, that theology, I would argue, is not even uh, sound theology. And that the gospel that it carries is not the gospel that Jesus taught. And so um, I'll make one more outrageous statement about um, uh, the image of God, because Nicole mentioned the image of God. The image of God, I think it can be seen individually, but it also must be seen in communities, because God is community. And so uh, this unity and diversity. And so we can't reflect the image of God by ourselves. Mm. Now, uh, theologically, that's, that's not what Western people would say. But it, it, this is why it's community is so important. Um, and so, yeah, we, we're, we're going to have to start listening to other theologians from other places and privileging them now in order to, to bring things to, to a different place. Ooh, I like that. It reminds me of the early Christians when they said, none of us is Christ alone, but all of us are Christ mm -hmm. together, that the body of Christ. And we're as beautiful as we are diverse. You know, many of us have done work on the, the contrast between the Tower of Babel and the monoculture, the one language, the one culture, and the Pentecost with all of its diversity where everybody heard the gospel in their own tongue. Come on, somebody. So it's, it's that, you know, that unity that exists in diversity. I mean, no one wants a symphony of French horns. So so, you know, we, we have all of our <laughs> diversity that we're playing with. So, Sarah, you wanted to jump in. And, um, and then I'm going to ask each of you after Sarah speaks, 
to offer some resources. I mean, that you can, you can, you know, share your own articles or books, but you can also things that you think might keep people who are curious and leaning into this conversation, who want more, maybe share a, a book or, or film or anything else, music or whatever. And you can do it in the chat or you can do it here, but Sarah, go ahead. Yeah. So one of the things I think is, is really important is sort of rethinking our idea of the good news and understanding that there, there are that, that when you're going to share the gospel um, of good news, that you are also receiving a gospel of good news that, that, um, that Christianity does not have a corner on good news. So we have to think through um, what that good news is that we're receiving. Um, It's extremely um, narrow-minded in the best language and horribly racist in the worst language to, uh, or the worst case to assume that, um, that Christianity is, is to be plastered over the top of something or the assumption that nothing else exists, um, that people have an experience of the sacred and the divine and the creator that is valid and sacred and good news and important. Um, and I, I think um, another idea that I, that I think about a lot is, is this difference between faith, which is what, you know, in the way I was, you know, I grew up in the Christian denomination I grew up in, was sort of thought of as faith is belief in things you can't see versus reverence, which is acknowledging my place in the family of things, acknowledging my position and how I'm interdependent with everything and everything is interdependent with me and, and viewing that as sacred, not on Sunday morning, every morning, every day, you know, um, mm. in every moment. And I think that's true of the work too. It's not enough to go to the committee meeting on Thursday night you know, we're living this every day, every day, because because it is an expression of faithfulness um, that is necessary in order for us all to 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 survive and live and thrive and 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 seek fullness of life. Thanks, Sarah. And let's do a little popcorn of uh, resources, because you know, I, when I started thinking about a lot of this. Um, you know, I, I, we've, we've invited people at Red Letter Christians to do a, a personal inventory and an audit, right, of who the voices are that are shaping us. One of the things that we believe is that we change the narrative by changing the narrators and even, you know, doing an audit of the books that are on our shelves. Do we have any from indigenous women? Do we have any from black women, womanist writers? Come on, Nicole, right? Like uh, who's shaping our uh, uh, theological imagination? And even on creation care, there's a lot of really wonderful folks that are many of them are really close friends you know Chad Myers and Wendell Berry and the Sleese and you know Tom and Christine Simon but they were white folks you know Stephen Bowman Prediger those are the books that I was reading first and they helped me a lot but I think you know collectively this panel has a host of resources that are coming from different perspectives and because of that diversity they're building an even more robust uh, way of thinking about uh, environmentalism and creation care so just jump right in and suggest uh any other things that you have been helpful for shaping you and expanding your your uh, uh, mind and theology on this? Avery or Nicole, you want to jump in? Yeah, thank you. I can jump in. Um, so some resources that definitely come to mind, um, as I mentioned, Echo Womanism by Melanie Harris um, is an incredible text. Um, that really weaves together much of my perspective in this conversation and much of what we've been talking about. Um, Dr. Wyland Wilson at Duke Divinity School is also writing a book called Womanist Bioethics, and she's my mentor. So she definitely has influenced um, and guided much of how I approach this work as well. Um, I'll also point to Reverend Jen Bailey at Faith Matters Network in Tennessee, um, they do a lot of work around um, healing and community and including um, environmentalism and environmental justice and care in that as well. And then lastly, um, I know that we are having a theological discussion, but some uh, um, an author that I'm always drawn to as a womanist um, that's not necessarily in a theological space is actually Octavia Butler. Um, Parable of the Sower is um, really powerful. And I think like a non-religious text that really does speak to um, reimagining and returning to some ways of caring and community with one another. So those are my resources. Thank you. Great. Anybody else on the resources? I was just going to say, I've often thought, Nicole, that it would be fun to have like a theological interpretation of 
Octavia Butler kind of group, like chat group, you know, just to be like, hey, let's go through this systematically and, and theologically interpret it, you know, because there's some, there's some deep theology in there. We should organize that, Sarah. I would love that. Oh my gosh, it would be so fun. It, it, we could do like a limited run. Hey, five sessions, three sessions, talking Octavia Butler. It's amazing. Love it. And I love science fiction too, so. Count me in. I'm going to come and do dishes and whatnot. I'm ready to help. <laughs> hey, Avery, you got any uh, resources you want to suggest? Yeah, just a few here. Um, you know, I think what we're trying to do at Creation Justice Ministries is just share out the stories of people who are doing this work and who are being impacted. You know, we have a blog we posted, you know, both Nicole and Sarah. I'm sure we've had we've had Randy on webinars. So I'll just point you first to the Creation Justice Ministries website, which a whole host of, you know, Decades of resources really on there. Um, and then in particular, we, you know, launched a, two videos this summer on what we're calling Faithful Resilience. And this is just the stories of coastal communities who are being impacted by climate change and who are responding with love and resilience and care for their communities. And it's, you know, a, a truthful look at what's happening and the devastation that's happening. And I think a hopeful turn towards, you know, how we can create, you know, treat this crisis as an opportunity to love each other better. Um, so it's two things. Book-wise, you know, Howard Thurman, for me, has been just absolutely amazing, you know, thinking about the intersection of contemplation and action. Um, and he has some really deep thinking and writing about our connection to creation as well. So I'm, I'm going to jump in. Uh, and because I'm a professor, I have a whole slew of books. And I'll try <laughs> to say I'm quick. So um, if, if you just got to buy one, I'm going to help people critique the problem. Um, one book, I would buy Utopian Legacies by John Mohawk. He's probably had more influence on me than any other writer. Um, and, uh, and then if you wanted to go through it a little deeper, um, Nell Irwin Painter's uh, uh, The History of White People, uh, Kelly Brown Douglas, Stan uh, um, uh, uh Stand your ground. Yeah, stand your ground. I think um, uh, Sav uh, savage anxieties by na another native writer. Um, yeah, so those will really help you understand uh, where this worldview comes from. And then um, you know, I've got some. I've got a book coming out. If you're in, on the theological side uh, this year, I've got three books coming out this year. The the second one that's coming out is called. Indigenous theology in the Western worldview, a decolonial approach to Christian doctrine. So, and then another and later called mission and the cultural other a closer work. Look, and those are both going to be critiquing the church and helping people understand from a different worldview. Um, they can go to alahey.org. They can go to randywoodley.com. Some of us have read three books, but you've written three books. It's incredible. Yeah, it's great. And then, yeah, the the most um, like the thing I'm really hoping for is that like uh, the the biggest influence, and it's not written just for Christians. It's written for anybody who's spiritual and wants to get close to the earth. It's just becoming rooted, and it comes out on January 4th. It can be pre-ordered right now, and we're gonna have starting January 12th. We're gonna have that hundred days on Facebook. And so we're going to do a bunch of Facebook lives and um, get people talking about what they're reading and what their action points they're taking and how it worked. And so I'm trying to get as many people as possible to go 100 days with me uh, on my Facebook page, uh, Randy Woodley, author, speaker. And, um, and you know, let's, let's change our world by changing our worldview, because otherwise, if people just do nice things, I mean, good things, right, if they recycle and they do those things, they're still going to be thinking of the earth as, as um, uh, something that they can take from rather than be in relationship with. And what I want people to do is to be in relationship with the whole community of creation. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that, then we'll start acting like people who know how to take care of our planet and each other. Thanks, brother. It's great. Um, so here's what we're going to do is I, I do a lot of these panels and I, I often find that sometimes there's something that I'm, I'm itching to say and didn't get a chance to. So I've learned to uh, give everybody a chance to say a last word if you want to before we close out. We're not in any huge hurry. We start a few minutes late. So uh, take a minute or two. And um, if there's any closing thoughts you have or lingering things, things that we didn't talk about that you, you might want to just offer a little reflection on, 
Um, I'll start with you, Avery, and then um, go to Nicole, and and then um, we'll we'll close out in a few minutes. So so we'll go Avery, Nicole, Randy, and then um, uh, go ahead and start us out. Don't feel any pressure to, but if you want to offer a closing thought, we'd love it. It's been yeah, just a quick thought. Sorry, was that Randy? I said you could skip me. I don't need to say anything else. Um, uh, a closing reflection on, on Nehemiah, actually, to, to draw a little bit from the Hebrew scriptures. And, um, you know, what Sarah was saying earlier about what we have is here. And, you know, what I've learned from Nehemiah, that he's there standing in the rubble, looking at the fallen wall of Jerusalem. And, you know, what is his solution? It's to work in the community. And it's to build back from the rubble. And I think what we see right now is a lot of rubble around us, uh, but we also have community. Um, I think that's an affirmation that while we, we have the tools that we need, we have the resources that we need, um, we just need to see them in the right way. Thanks. We got a little sermon there. That was awesome. Nicole, go ahead. Thank you. Um, thank you all for this really robust and powerful conversation. I've learned a lot. Um, one thing that I don't think that we touched on as much um, is really just as we move towards this um, lens of working together and um, creating different theologies or returning to Afro-Indigenous theologies that do center the God and humanity and and in creation. Um, I also think it's important that we unpack individually and in community the ways that um, these systems have influenced us and the ways that we're born, even as, I mean, in the ways that we're raised and taught, even as a Black woman myself, like I've had to do a lot of unpacking and unlearning while experiencing violence. And um, it's important that we all unpack um, our own internalized violence and the ways that we perpetuate some of these systems, even when we don't intend to. So that's what I'd like to just share with everyone. Make sure that you are doing that work internally as well as you build with community and work towards healing. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. Yeah, I, I'll just uh, say that, that thank you each for, for being a part of this. And, um, you know, I was r- recalling when I went, I went just briefly to, to Standing Rock and maybe some of you all were there as well. And um, but one of the things that was so powerful is how whenever you got there, you had a, you know, a powerful briefing and kind of re-education and this is what we're doing here, you know, and they, they made it very clear that they were not protesters, but they were water protectors and that this wasn't just a, um, it, it was a prayerful resistance, right? And it was, uh, it, it was so deep. And I can remember, you know, one of the times we surrounded the whole park whole, or the whole land um, holding hands, like, uh, but there were almost 10,000 people holding hands and praying together and the power of that. So all that to say is we need to get out there, you know, when there's a not waiting on crisis, but when there is one and let's go to those communities that can teach us um, and that can show us a depth of theology beyond the words on paper. Cause what I experienced there, it's hard for me to even talk about, you know, but it, it just, um, it has really shaped me and how I think about the land and the creation Um and the, the last thought I had is, you know, I heard a long time ago that um, the, the, this whole story begins in the garden, but it ends in a city and, and the new Jerusalem. But it's a city where like the best of the garden meets the best of uh, the world and, and the river of life is there. The tree of life is there. And so it's, it's a, a, a city where it says that we, there is no temple because God dwells with the people and the gate is left open all the time. Come on, somebody, you know, so there's a whole sermon there. But I think the fact that we go from the garden um, to this renewed earth that affects the way that you live. Right. If you think that this world is not your home and you're just going to heaven when you die, like or if you believe that God cares about this creation and is restoring it. So that's what we've we've been dreaming about together tonight. And this is not the end of a conversation, but it's uh, just to kind of get us going and uh, we'll keep talking about these things together. And so I want to pass it to Sarah for any closing words. And then Sarah is going to send us out with a benediction or a prayer. So thanks each of you for all that you brought to the conversation. Thank you. I would just share that um, I am enlivened and um, feel supported just through the conversation, um, just through being able to connect with other followers of Jesus and uh, people who are 
faithful and choosing to live in a way that's faithful. That is um, nourishment for me. So I want to thank you each here and then thank the people who are joining us virtually. It's a privilege to be here and it's a privilege to, to be with you and to be together. And um, our hope, I say for myself, um, my hope is um, in the creator, of course, and in you, um, God's people. And so um, thank you. Uh, each one for choosing to spend this time here with us. And I will just close in prayer. <sighs> Creator God, we're thankful that you're here and choose to be with us, that you choose to be present with us now and in each day. And thank you for creation the magnificent process of creation that is ongoing and thank you for life itself and that we get to be part of it, this wild um, and beautiful and amazing life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.